Welcome to this morning's Time Together in the Word. We're going to be looking today at our scripture for the year, which is in essence the lens with which we're going to look through in 2021. And we're going to try to hear from God and learn from God and and then live out the dynamic of the scripture of the year. This year we're looking at Matthew 22 and its parallel passage in Luke chapter 10. It's verses that we all know so well, and uh, and they're the heartbeat of our faith. Jesus makes that clear when he answers a question that is posed by one of the Pharisees uh, in Matthew chapter 22. The question is put to him, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? What does Jesus say? Well, he said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So, love God with every dynamic of ourselves, that is our emotions, our intellect, our our substance, our time, our energy, and and love our neighbour as ourselves. So love our neighbour with the same level of care and consideration that we would want ourselves. Now, of course, loving our neighbour is bigger than that, but that's a a reasonable starting place. Loving our neighbour with the same level of care and consideration that we would want for ourselves. I think it's so important that when we look at this scripture that we emphasise not just the two most important commands, but what Jesus says in verse 40, that all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. All the law and the prophets. These two commands are therefore a summary of, of everything else that has gone before them. They're a summary of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments in, in themselves are an inspiration for the law of God. And we could break that down if we were to look into it. Broken down by the Jews, we could break it down into the, thir- the 613 commands that, that the Jews pulled together. That were a combination of positive do's and we might say negative do-nots. They're definitely worth a read sometime because... It gives us a real sense of what God loves and what God wants to see lived out in his people. It's important, though, when we talk about this uh, law, when we mention the word law, we, we have to remember that we cannot gain salvation by keeping the law. And, and that was true of the Jews, and it's true of us uh, as Christians, that we cannot gain salvation by keeping these laws. But we can please God by living them out. Uh, and, and isn't it good for us to, to live a life that pleases God? You know, my love for my children isn't based upon how many times they do what pleases me. My love for my children is based upon the fact that they are my children. And so if you're in Christ, then you are a child of God. And therefore, God's love for you is based upon the fact that you are his 
child. Being in Christ, it's the being in Christ that we are accepted. And then living the spirit of the law out from there, which undoubtedly pleases the Father's heart. Romans 5 and 6 lay that out. And and, uh, also, of course, we know that uh, John chapter 1 speaks to this dynamic of, of being in Christ and therefore being a child of God. That's where the two are equated together. So these two greatest commands, they're directly related to the Ten Commandments and the larger substance of the law of Moses. And they're directly related to each other, the loving God and loving neighbor. So they're related to the Ten Commandments because when we look at the Ten Commandments, we see that the first half of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, I believe it is, the first half of those ten speak to how we love God. And then the second half speaks to how we love each other, how we love our neighbour. And so you have dynamics, for example, not to have any other gods but Yahweh. That all other gods, all other small g gods are beneath Yahweh. That in a sense, we could say as well that as we live on this earth, we're living in God's house. This is God's creation. We are God's creation. So when you live under God's house, you live by his ways. Closely related to that, of course, is the call to not make an idol or bow down to anything other than Yahweh. God is, is unique and he is the only one worthy of our praise. Uh, there's also the call not to misuse the name of Yahweh. And, and I would propose that that relates more to how we live rather than whether or not we say uh, the unpacking of OMG, you know, I, I would inc- discourage people doing that as well. But I think actually it's about uh, about how we live our lives as God's sons and daughters. If we proclaim to be his but live contrary to that, then we are at risk of misusing his name. So love God with everything that we are and everything that we have. And then we shift over to how we live and love one another. This honouring of our father and our mother, as the Lord has commanded us to. You know, God cares about family. God cares about the male and female partnership, which provides the stability in the home. You know, I I was raised as a teenager in a single-parent home, and I know the enormous sacrifices single parents need to make. But I also know from experience and still live out today the results of the damage done by a fractured household. God cares about unity in the household. He cares about the honouring of father and of mother, about respecting those who are more mature in the faith. Then there's a championing of the sanctity of human life, and I would argue from the womb to the grave. If people are made in God's image and are distinctly human from conception right through until their last breath, then they should be honoured, preserved and protected. The remaining laws beyond those speak to things like marriage, the sanctity of marriage, the respect for other people's property and the call to live with integrity and honesty in all that we say and do. And so what we see in the Ten Commandments 
which are condensed down to the two greatest commandments, is a very high calling of how to live. These two greatest commandments don't supersede the ten, but rather they they point like a signpost back to the things that matter to God and the things that God has determined are important. What matters most to God? Well, that he is the only one worthy of our worship, so therefore we give him worship. That we don't get drawn into worshipping demons. We don't get drawn into worshipping the the enemy of God who is committed to our destruction. We don't get drawn into worshipping institutions or any other creation of mankind. Also, that we create and sustain a community of Believers who live with the highest possible standards so that God's holiness and God's goodness will be proclaimed in and through the way in which we live. That is the letter of of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians in a nutshell, the invitation to the higher calling of life. How we live in the midst of others. That is a direct reflection of how we live before the throne of heaven. I said that these two are are intrinsically linked together. How we live in the midst of others is a direct reflection on how we live before the throne of heaven. If our horizontal interactions, that, that, that is how we interact one to another, if they fall short, then we need to ask the question of our vertical interaction, that is our personal interaction with the God of heaven. And that's the enormous challenge of becoming more Christ-like every single day. Have I fallen short across the two greatest commandments in my life? Absolutely. Are, Are any of us a perfect picture of the Ten Commandments? Absolutely not. And that's why we needed someone from beyond humanity to enter into humanity and as the perfect example pay the price for where every single one of us has fallen short. Now that that isn't to criticise us but simply to lay out the ugly truth of humanity. You know whilst we're all capable of doing beautiful things we're also all guilty of falling short of perfection and the more sanctified we are the more we live as Jesus lived across every moment of our private and our public lives. Who said being a Christian was easy? It's rewarding, yes, but easy, not so much. It is the highest calling that we can live in, in, in our lives. Let's turn then to the partner scripture for these verses. We're going to look at Luke, Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at uh, verses 25 to 37. So if you've got your Bible there, feel free to open it. I'm going to read uh, this to us just now. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through to 37. Now we have to remember and note here that in order to answer the teacher's question, Jesus pointed him to the law. That's really important for us as we look at this portion of God's word. So verses 25 through to 37. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus asked him. How do you read it? 
He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbour? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived in that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in olive oil, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Uh, The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. It's just like going back to Sunday school, isn't it, when we open that, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's such a familiar passage, but it's one which is as relevant in today's culture as it was to the first century, especially with everything becoming increasingly polarised and increasingly secularised. These dynamics of truth in this parable are so relevant to us. There's four characters, one in need of help and three who could have offered it. The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Sounds like the beginning of a terrible joke, doesn't it? But two of them were in the, the, we would say they were the perfect candidates in an ideal world to be the solution in this moment. Two of them, the perfect candidates. Two of them who should have known better. Two perfect candidates who in the moment showed the substance of their relationship with God in the way that they dealt with the one in need. In a sense, this is a great example of what James challenges his readers to grasp. In in James chapter 2 and verse uh, 18, what we see here is James's challenge to all people to challenge us to have a substance to her faith that is lived out in action. James chapter 2 and verse 18. Let me just turn to that and we will read that. You know when you get a new Bible and you just cannot find the right page. This is where I am at the moment. Every single day when I open this Bible. There we are. James chapter 2 and verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. And so James is emphasising here the need for us to have a substance to our faith. It's not just what we say, but it's also what we do. It's not just what we believe, but it's how we live out those beliefs in real life. If your faith relationship with God doesn't compel you to love your neighbour, then 
There's a disconnect there somewhere, and we see that in this parable. Now, we could tear strips off the priest and the Levite, couldn't we? We could tear strips off them because they've fallen short. I remember as a child when I would watch um, Rambo or, or Superman, and I would naturally take on the role, not, not of one of Rambo's enemies or of Lex Luthor or of ugh, some kryptonite-wielding alien. I would take on the role of the hero. I would put myself in the story here as the hero. And so when we look at the parable in Luke, we, we see that we're going to put ourselves into the story. Chances are we're going to put ourselves in there as the person who steps in as the helper. We all do that, don't we? We could tear strips off the priest or the Levite and position ourselves as the Samaritan, the one who willingly crossed the road, the one who willingly crossed cultural norms and expectations and helped the man in need. We, we want to assume that we would do what we know to be right in every situation. And yet I ask the question of myself, have I ever walked by on the other side? Have I ever been like that priest or that Levite? And the answer for me is, is absolutely yes to my shame. Where I should have lived out the better way, I have chosen to take the easy way out. To take the path of least resistance, we might say, in the moment. And in this we see Jesus offering a surface level teaching and a deeper teaching. The surface level teaching is love your neighbour, even those that are, that are uh, contrary to you, that culture would tell you is your enemy. Love them. But also to the man's question, the deeper level teaching, when he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus say? In a sense, he's laying out this, this uh, dynamic of, be perfect. Be perfect. Now, the thing is, none of us can be perfect. Not every time. Was the, the priest and the Levite now rejected for all eternity because they fell short in this moment, because they were imperfect? Or was there uh, hope for redemption even for them? Was the Samaritan's good deed enough to win him a place in heaven. No, not at all. He did the right thing. But there's an indication in Jesus' answer that even with all of our good intention, we'll still fall short of perfection. How can I inherit eternal life? The danger is we look at this parable on the surface and we say, well, okay, good works. But no, not simply through good works. Not even good works that are born out of relationship with God, but only through first trusting in the grace of God to atone for sin, some of which would be seen in failing to do the right thing. That's why the, the two greatest commandments are intrinsically linked. Loving God first with all that we have, enables us to love our neighbour as God would intend us to. The one flows naturally from the other. But if we don't let it flow in that direction, from our, from our relationship with God out into the world, we're in danger of finding ourselves 
right back in the place where this teacher and many people of his day were living. Living out this idea of, if I only do good works, then I will earn God's approval. Such lofty and good ideals can be so beautiful in theory, loving God with all we have and loving our neighbour as ourselves. But so difficult and even so dangerous in practice. If we don't ground everything in a proper uh, daily, uh, personal, intimate relationship with God, where we're shaped by his word and transformed by his spirit, we're in danger of simply getting busy, striving to love everyone as a human endeavour rather than as a supernatural, heaven-sent, Christ-like calling. Let me try and say that again. (laughs) If we don't ground everything in our daily, personal, intimate relationship with God, where we're shaped by God's word and transformed by his spirit, We're in danger of just getting busy, striving to love everyone as a human endeavour rather than as a supernatural, heaven-sent, Christ-like calling. If we love people only out of the substance of ourselves, firstly, that just sounds exhausting. But also, we're no different to the very best the world can offer if we only love people out of the substance of ourselves. But, but I just, I see when I open the word and I see when Jesus teaches, I see this call to love people out of the substance of an active relationship with God. Acknowledging that the source of our love is in fact God. And all the glory belongs to Christ as we live it out. When we live like that, we also open up the door of possibility for God to be honoured, which in a sense leads us right back to the first of the Ten Commandments and right back to the, the very heart of God for this world. What was the first of the Ten Commandments? Well, it's the call to honour God and have him as God, <laughs> capital G God of our lives. If we live out of the substance of our relationship with him and love others in that way, then people recognise that we're not doing it in our name, we're doing it in his name, and he gets the glory. It takes us right back to the very heart of God for this world. What was God's ultimate aim in coming to the earth in Christ? Not just that we would simply be nicer to one another, that really is, is is secularism's highest goal, that we would uh, become an enlightened race of people who would be nicer to each other. Now, God's God's call, his ultimate aim in coming to earth as Christ and his invitation to us is that we would repent of our ways, turn back to him and be restored now and for eternity. So to, to close this focus for this morning, when we think about the purpose of everything we do in our lives, every interaction we have with every person we meet, might we consider this? What we might call the most lofty of ideals, which results in the most beautiful of outcomes. Not simply that someone feels loved by us, but that they might also feel loved by Christ. 
every activity that flows from our lives, might it be that they don't just feel loved by us, but they, they feel loved by Christ. How do we do that? Well, let's look at some of the examples of what we as a church uh, do in our activity. Every activity that flows from, from our church has the same purpose as that which God calls us all to live out as we engage with our neighbours, our colleagues, our friends and our family. There is one ultimate goal in mind in all of it. We're taken to Paul's writings that people might come to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So in our ministries, for example, like Noah's Ark, Noah's Ark serves the young mums and babies, toddlers of our area. But by God's grace and, and with a holy boldness in our words and actions, it exists to lead people to Christ and the power of his resurrection. The school chaplaincy that I'm involved in, it serves the young people of Oban through love and encouragement, but it exists to lead them to Christ and to the power of his resurrection. The new school uniform mission that we're looking to get going in the next few weeks, that will serve the practical needs of parents and students in our community. But it exists to lead people to Christ and the power of his resurrection. Every aspect of who we are should serve this primary mission of God, that he might be known and known by our words and our deeds. The best way to love God and our neighbour is to introduce our neighbour to God. Let me say that again. The best way to love God and our neighbour is to introduce our neighbour to God. The most loving thing we can do is not simply meet their physical and emotional needs, as important as they are, but also to lead them to Christ who will meet their spiritual needs. Because leading someone uh, to a comfortable life on earth is good, but leading them to an eternal life with Christ is immeasurably better. Let's pray. Father, I, I want to just ask that you would help me, help us. As we love you in every sphere of our lives, in private and in public, Help us to become so gifted by your Spirit to love people in their temporary and their eternal needs. That you may get the glory. That your name would be lifted higher in our community as more and more people come to know you. For your name's sake we pray. Amen.